0: Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin and welcome to this episode of The Christopher Perrin Show. In this particular episode, I want to talk to you about the great dance or the great conversation. The word conversation means to turn with and its etymological root means to turn with uh, con from cum in Latin, which means with and versus, which means a turning just like, well, Poetry is verse, and it has a kind of turning of a phrase as it goes line by line, like furrows. Another word for versus in Latin was furrow, where you would go, take the take the ox down a furrow, and then it would turn and come back. And if you look at a, a finely furrowed field, well, it might look like the lines uh, from a poem. Conversus is a kind of turning together. It's a kind of dance, and this is... Conversation, conversation from one important perspective, is a kind of turning with another person, a kind of dance. And if if you've ever had to learn how to say do the foxtrot, learn to do some ballroom dancing, you know that you have to be coordinated and in harmony with your partner if you're going to dance well and not trip over one another's feet. And so, conversation is kind of like that. We learn to work together, we learn harmony, we seek harmony, but we certainly seek an exchange of a kind and we seek to be all the better for it. And so for a long time, folks have thought about the, the collection of great ideas that have been in conversation with one another as the great tradition or the great conversation. The best that's thought has been sought and thought and said by human beings over the centuries, collected in kind of one big, large, marvelous dance. But it's it's not easy to look at all of the steps that have been done in this dance. It's quite a a quite complicated dance. In fact, Robert Hutchins and Mortimer Adler and their great books of Western civilization uh, sets come up, came up with a, a list of 102 dance steps, you might say, 102 great ideas that human beings have been thinking about for some time. And, These ideas have been engaged with one another in a kind of ongoing conversation. And not every one of these ideas and not every one of the authors of these ideas, of which there were many, always harmonized. Uh, In other words, sometimes in this great dance, people have tripped over one another's feet. In other words, it's not a perfect consensus of great harmony, but yet there is a kind of discernible there are discernible lines of wisdoms, discernible discernible uh, harmonies at times. This great conversation, while it's complex, does have some harmony, some beauty to it as well. It sometimes has been called the great tradition because it's something that's been, well, developed over centuries and passed on. When you think about that word tradition, a tradition is anything that is worthy of passing on or down. I bet. You have some holiday traditions for example that you really have enjoyed is such that you have kept them in your own family and you will probably pass them on to succeeding generations just as you receive them from someone else tradition it comes from another latin word trattere which means to hand over uh think of the word trade when we are we're trading things with our hands A tradition is something that involves a handing over, a passing on. G.K. Chesterton calls tradition the democracy of the dead. What does he mean? Well, he means that just because someone has died doesn't mean that they ought not to have, well, a vote. That they ought to be a person in the demos, someone who can still be heard. Just because you've passed on doesn't mean that you should be silenced forever, especially if you have written down some things that are really, really interesting and helpful to other human beings. So tradition is the democracy of the dead. We don't write off people or ignore them simply because they're not walking around anymore, especially if they are some of the great writers, authors and thinkers. And why do we call it the great tradition or the great conversation or the great dance? Well, you can see that by using that word great, we're already assuming out of the gate that there are some things worth passing on and some things that are not. Some things have not been passed on. In fact, if you just think of the technology of the way we have made books in the past, we had to copy them, you know, until the mid-1400s the mid, uh, when Gutenberg invented the, uh, the printing press. Uh, books were hand copied. They were manuscripts. That means written by hand. And yes, they were passed from person to person by hand and often recopied. There weren't the kind of copyright laws that we have now, but neither were there printing presses back then and neither were there photocopy machines. So books were handwritten. Which ones got recopied? Which ones were considered to be precious enough, important enough, that someone like you living, say, a thousand years ago would take the time to stay up for nights on end, say, uh, writing down uh, some dialogue of Plato so that you could have your own copy. If you were going to invest that kind of time and money, and by the way, it was ex- not only to take time, it was expensive to procure the paper, what they called paper, what we call paper now, which were parchments or say vellum hides. It was said that it would take one scribe working for an entire year and an entire flock of sheep to provide the time and the vellum to produce one copy of the Bible. So that was a commitment you can imagine of uh, how valuable than a copy of a single book, particularly written on vellum, which would be, say, sheep's hide, would be. Well. The great books that have come down to us prior to the printing press had to pass that kind of test. They had to pass the test of being worthy of written down and preserved in this very expensive and laborious, time-consuming fashion. So the great books of The Great Dance or The Great Conversation have, as it were, stood the test of time or stood the test of Many, many, many critics over many centuries, they have come down to us because those who went before us thought they were worthy of being passed down to us. They were worthy of becoming part of the tradition, the tradition, the great tradition, the great conversation, the democracy of the dead. But this great conversation is also a great dialogue. It's an interchange. It's an exchange. It doesn't come down to us like a set of propositions that you must subscribe to. It's a set of arguments. It's a set in many cases of iron sharpening iron of one idea leading to another and being modified by another and sometimes uh, argued against and overcome by another and then resurfacing again. Ideas like what is liberty? What makes for a good government or a good society? What makes for a good constitution that would help a society to be governed well over time? What is tyranny? What is slavery? How do we decide to live well together? What is freedom? What is liberty? What is happiness? What is a good life? What are human beings for? And countless other questions like what is justice have been asked and answered and asked again modified in this great conversation. In this tradition, there's a lot of critique. In fact, the tradition itself encourages critique. Here's what Robert Hutchins says. Nothing is to remain undiscussed in the great conversation. Everything, anything that's human, qualifies for discussion, questioning, and debate. Everybody is to speak his mind, Hutchins says. Not to hold back. What do you think and why? What are your reasons for that? Let's hear it. This is a part of the great conversation. No proposition is to be left unexamined. Because someone puts puts forth an idea of, say, what a good constitution should be to help us to live in a good society with a good government. The propositions that come in that constitution should be examined and questioned. No proposition is to be left unexamined. This seems to presuppose that when humans gather together, we can actually improve our thinking and reasoning about ideas. That we ought not to reason alone that our ideas need to be tested and examined by our friends, such as the great conversation, such as the great dance. Hutchins also writes, the exchange of ideas is held to be the path to the realization of the potentialities of the race. In other words, we can actually help ourselves to improve and do things better and live better if we engage in this exchange of ideas. That's what we mean, certainly what I mean when I say the great conversation, even the critique of the great ideas in the tradition is part of the tradition. The tradition critiques itself all along the way. And so, It is kind of sometimes messy, but it's still a kind of dance and there are still uh, happy human beings coming together, wanting to seek better ways of living, better ways of doing things, understanding the cosmos and ourselves in this cosmos together. That is a great tradition. Not just books, however, while books uh, are a great way of archiving and uh, keeping great ideas and the conversations surrounding them. There's also art and music. Music obviously can't be heard in a book, uh, although the notes could be recorded, and we're glad for that. And, and the plastic arts, the visual arts, also need to be seen and contemplated with our eyes in ways different from reading a text. And these two are really an important part of the great tradition, not just books, but music. Art, the fine arts, have an important role to play in helping us to live better and understand what it means to live in this world better. In fact, we could say that this great tradition is helping us to be better at realizing our humanity. Uh, I'll say more about that in in another episode. But... the great tradition it leads to what the Romans called humanitas still enshrined in our word the humanities we actually realize what it means to be a human when we learn and study the great ideas that have come to us from those who have preceded us well we might ask why a certain selection of books, um, do we want to actually codify a canon and say, these are the books that one, one should read to actually engage these great ideas? Well, whatever we would say about the canon, a list of books say, it's living, and it's a part of a dance. And so it's not always clear exactly what should be in and what should be out. And there are many, many books that we consider to be great and part of the conversation. In uh, Robert Hutchins and Mortimer Adler and their great book set, they, they, they listed, there's in 54 volumes, some 102 uh, great ideas and many, many authors. Uh, and of course, as soon as you create a list, someone is gonna look at that list and say, well, why did you not put so-and-so in? And why did you leave? Uh, uh, why is this person in and, and another person out? Uh, well, it is difficult to come out, with, come up with a final list that will never be done, but there are. Great authors, great ideas that we can note. Let's just cite, for example, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, which were followed later by Virgil's Aeneid, which was an interaction with the Odyssey. And Dante, who was an interaction with Virgil and Homer, Uh, the great epics of Greece, the, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the great epic of Rome, Virgil's Aeneid, and the great Christian epic, Dante's The Divine Comedy. These books have been considered great in every age that has been able to study them and know them because they've had such um, grand and abiding influence on other thought and ideas. These books ask questions that are perennially human. And because human nature is constant, if not very, very constant, it It means that these ideas that they engage will always be present to the human mind and soul. So these books are in. You'll scarcely find a list that would exclude Homer and Virgil and Dante. And we could cite some others that are just obvious. Plato, Aristotle, Shakespeare, and many, many others. So despite the fact that there are debates about what should be in the canon, the list of books, this great conversation, there are many, many books of which there is very little dispute whatsoever. To know these books is really to know our genealogy, because you, whether you know it or not, are living in this tradition. Uh, if you are speaking English and, in, and you're in the United States or another English speaking country You are already in this tradition in a significant way, whether you know it or not. And you either know that tradition well or poorly or somewhere in between. But it is your genealogy. There are ideas that you have absorbed because you live in the culture that you love in that come from this tradition, whether you know it or not. Why not know it? And why not know it better to understand your family tree? Does this mean that we might not uh, at, at times vary from the tradition, criticize the tradition, interrogate the tradition? Actually, as I've said already, that's part of being in the tradition. This tradition of the great ideas is always questioned itself. But it doesn't question the questioning. So we can conclude then that the, the liberal arts tradition that's in the great books is helping us to become more human as we engage in the ideas that have been bequeathed to us from preceding humanity. It is a study of humanity and the issues of today are actually enlightened, illumined uh, by the study of the tradition because they didn't just come up out of thin air. For example, one great question in our modern day is social justice. What is it and how can we bring it about? Equity, freedom. These are concerns of ours. Well, it just turns out that these particular questions are not new. And we can learn much by studying what other cultures and other books have said about, well, what is justice? What is the good society? What is liberty and happiness? What does it mean to bring a retributive and, and, and distributive justice, to share wealth properly in a common wealth? I live in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. How do we have wealth that is common? Well, there are many, many books that have addressed this and we're only going to be better equipped by knowing that this particular question, what is social justice, how do we bring it about, is not new. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that we would do very well, in addition to reading contemporary books, to make sure we read the old books. And by that, he means the old books that are in the great conversation. Why? Well, because he says Every age goes wrong in some particular segment or area, but every age does not go wrong in the same way. Therefore, by reading about past ages and from past books, we might find a corrective or antidote to the problems and questions of our own age. So he says, in a, for every three books you read, two of them probably should be contemporary books, but one of them should be an old book from Another place in time that will shed light on your own time so that you don't just be so that you will not just be carried away in the kind of embedded current that you're in, um, you know, carry downstream without being able to, to, as it were, to step outside of that current and see what's upstream. <sighs> I'll conclude by saying the need for the education that comes from these great books that are in the great conversation, leads us to human excellence or virtue, both private excellence and public excellence. The great tradition assumes that you as a human being are not a mere means to some other end, that you are not just a person who should learn how to make a living but or serve other purposes, but you yourself are an end. And that you ought to know what it means to live well, despite what other things you do in life. What does it mean for you to flourish and burgeon and blossom as a human being? And to know happiness, to know what Aristotle called eudaimonia, a kind of flourishing of soul that only human beings can enjoy as they study the great ideas of the human story. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And then my next podcast, I'll go a little bit further and we'll explore how the liberal arts are related to our humanity in some deeper ways and to democracy itself. I'll see you then.